Let's continue our study in the book of John by turning to John chapter 3. Continue looking at this chapter that is so important. Truly foundational to our understanding of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a believer, what it means to be born again. We throw this terminology around many times, and here in this text we have some very specific answers from our Savior as to what he means concerning this truth. Let's look to him first as we begin in a word of prayer. Father, we come before you. Hallowed be thy name. You are holy. Father, we come to you through the blood of your Son. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you died for us. You truly are holy. Spirit, we approach the Father by the Son and through you. Thank you that you indwell us, that you are holy. Meet with us in the pages of your word today, we pray. It's in your name. Amen. Last week we began this chapter by looking at the link at the conclusion of chapter 2 in verse 23 to 25. We're not going to go back into that. We highlighted that. It gives us a context for what is said in chapter 3. Of course, Jesus is in Jerusalem. It's the feast of the Passover. He has overturned the tables of the money changers and driven all the livestock out of the temple. Nicodemus and the other members of the Sanhedrin have seen what he's doing. They have rendered an initial judgment, as we see in this text. And then a conversation develops. Let's read... What we read last week, verse 1 to 15. Now, we all are probably pretty familiar with this. I think not all of us, there may be somebody here that's either new to the faith or maybe not really inside the faith. Maybe you don't know this chapter well. Most of us do. Most all of us know verse 16. We'll be looking that at that and that paragraph in greater detail later, another week or two. But let's really try to read this in a way that we gravitate to the text and we see what God is actually saying here to us. Let's really, my goal this morning is to kind of just dissect what he says. Remember when you were in junior high school and you had to dissect a frog? We're going to try to go into the words and we're just going to try to pick it apart, dissect it. Clear up misunderstanding so we really see what's here. So as we read it initially, let's really try to focus on this, and then we're going to work back through it. 
Now, there was a man of the Pharisees. Remember this? We talked about who this, the context of this. We talked last week about this guy. He's a Pharisee. His name is Nicodemus. He is a ruler of the Jews. That is another way of saying he's a member of the Sanhedrin. We talked about what that is. The elite club that it was, 70 men, distinguished by their merit. He's no slouch. He's one of the leading men of Israel of his day. He's a ruler of the Jews. This man, Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night. We talked about the phrase, by night. Why did he come by night? I don't think it was to hide. I don't think it was because he didn't want other people to see him doing it. Probably because it's the time of day when it's cool and they both have time. They can have a prolonged conversation. Nicodemus could address some things that are on his heart. More importantly, Jesus will address some things that are on his heart. Rabbi, we. Notice the pronoun we. He is not speaking for himself. He is speaking for the group, the Sanhedrin. They have rendered an initial judgment. We know, remember the Sanhedrin, one of its most important jobs was to test the claims of prophets and supposed messiahs against the scripture. It's one of their jobs. It's in their job description. There were many prophets and there were many messiahs. They have rendered an initial judgment about him. We know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. I told you last week, the rest of this gospel, Jesus is going to debunk their theory. They think he is a man from God who is a teacher whom God is doing signs through. Jesus is going to say, that's not good enough. I am God, and no one can do these signs unless he is God. And repeatedly, they will take up stones to try to kill him in the book of John. What he is doing is in the rest of his teaching, he is addressing this claim. He is saying it is not sufficient. Please understand that. There are many people in our world, there are many people in our country who hear about Jesus, who hear about the church, and they are willing to say, he was a good man. He was a good teacher. He surely came from God because he talked about love. And Jesus has repeatedly said in his word and through his spirit, that is not sufficient. I am the triune, I am one of the triune God. I am God come in the flesh. No one can do and say what I am doing unless he is God. That is their initial declaration. Jesus doesn't even address it. 
Jesus moves right away from what they have stated to a bigger issue. Excuse me, my throat, I'm going to be clearing my throat some. I've been fighting this crud this week that's going around, so I'll be real careful at the door this morning not to bless you with it. Okay, so if I don't shake your hand, there is a reason. It's not because I'm trying to be a snob, okay? It's because I don't want to bless you with blessing upon you. Anyway, here's where we go. Jesus answers him. Truly, truly, I am saying to you, unless one is born again, he cannot perceive The word see there is not seeing with your physical naked eye. It is a word that speaks of knowledge, knowing, perceiving. He cannot perceive the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says to him, now I'm going to talk about this in a minute. I don't think Nicodemus here is being stupid. I think he's being sincere because he understands the implication of what Jesus just said. How can a man be born when he's old? Can he a second time get into his mother's womb and be born? Can he start over? Jesus answers, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot, now notice this, enter. First time he said perceive, here he says enter. He can't even enter the kingdom of God. That word enter is used many times by Jesus. Enter in at the straight gate. Matthew 7. Wide is the gate. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many go in at it. Unless a man is converted and become like a little child, he cannot enter. The kingdom. He cannot enter the kingdom. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind or the spirit, remember this is the word pneuma, and it really is the same word as spirit. Context determines whether we're just talking about the wind that blows or the spirit that blows. So it's the wind, it's the spirit who is breathing, who is blowing where he wishes. You hear his sound, you don't know where it's coming from and where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born, born again. Born again is what? Born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, another question, so how can this be? How can this come into existence? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand this? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, we bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you about earthly things and you didn't believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He is now addressing the initial declaration. 
And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may enter the kingdom, may have eternal life. Now, we're not going to get from verse 9 to verse 15, so pack that away in your brain till next week. We're going to look again at verses 1 to 8, and we're going to dissect it a bit here. So let's take out our scalpels and think about it. But as I begin, let's think about, as I've been praying over this text and thinking over it, meditating over it, I don't often take the time to kind of give you what I'm praying about with a text or with a sermon, but this is what I've been really thinking about with this. Number one, I pray that God would use this study to bring salvation to some restless heart. You know, maybe it's somebody in this room, maybe it's somebody on the camera, maybe it's somebody on the radio. But my prayer would be that God uses what we're talking about here to bring salvation to some restless heart. I would also pray that God use the study to bring a solid sense of assurance to some believer who's just been really wrestling. As we really understand what it means to be born again, that we settle into this knowledge from God's Spirit and we find peace. I hope if you're a striving believer, and you know what I mean by that, just you're wrestling all the time, how do I really know I meant it when I prayed it? I pray that as we go through this, you begin to gravitate to what the Spirit has said in this text and it gives you a peace and an assurance. The other thing that I pray is that God used a study to equip his church to be more active in sharing the gospel with others. We need to, as believers, we need to understand the gospel. We need to get it right, and we need to make it clear. And I pray that as we rehearse these things that you already know if you're a Christian, that God uses it in your heart to help you that way that the Spirit would then blow through you in your sphere of influence and the people you know. That's my prayer as we look at this. Let's dissect the conversation. So get out your scalpel. Get out your pen. Let's think about some things. First of all, there is a declaration. We already looked at it. What is the declaration? You are a teacher come from God. They cannot dispute the miracles and the signs that he has done. There's no fraud connected to it. It's not a Benny Hinn campaign. Okay? It's not one of those deals. This isn't just the emotion of the moment that makes somebody just feel better for a little bit. No, this is water turned into wine. There ain't no fake in these things. They cannot get around the fact that a normal situation does not cause miracles. They can't get around it. They can't deny it. You must be a teacher come from God. Now, again, as I said, Jesus is going to show this, their declaration, their judgment is not sufficient. Nevertheless, it is their judgment. Then there are two questions that we see in the text. They are separated by dialogue. There are other questions in there that are part of the dialogue, but there are two fundamental questions that come from Nicodemus. We're going to look at them in a minute. Question, first of all, you know, how, you know, 
can't get into my mama's stomach again. I'm not going to be born. What do you mean? Either again, I don't think he's being snarky. I don't think he's being stupid. We're going to address that. The other question is, okay, if I can't make this happen, if it comes from the Spirit, then how can it come into existence? Because it's just like you and I. If you love people, and you're a Christian, and you love your family member who does not know Christ, you know they need to come to know Christ. So how can it happen? If I can't make it happen, then how can it happen? And Jesus addresses that. There are two questions. Both are sincere. There are also three truly, truly statements. Truly, truly, I say to you. Truly, truly, I say to you. Truly, truly, I say to you. So we're going to dissect those statements this morning. Let's consider the questions. First of all, there's incredul- incredulity. Is that a real word? I didn't get a spell check on it, so it must be. Can a man really get a new start? Really? It's one thing to read it. It's another thing to live in the real world and to deal with real people. Can someone really start over? Now, what do you hear there? You hear a little bit of the skeptic in him. Not only as he's looking at other people, also as he's considering who? Himself. Really? You know, when you think about it, my life, the past makes up the present. I am, to a large degree, the product of my past. And everything and all the experiences, all the learning, all the knowledge, all the good stuff and all the bad stuff, it all accumulates in my life and makes me who I am. And then you're telling me I can meet Jesus and I can believe in him and I get a new start? Really? Really? And so you hear this skepticism. How can... I think this is important. Does my past have to continue to have power over me? Or can it truly be broken? And I think that gets right down to where the rubber meets the road. Because a lot of people just kind of tack Jesus onto our life and say, well, you know, I'm just the way I am. Yeah, I know it ain't good, but I'm just the way I am. And he's just going to limp me into heaven. But I really don't have any expectation that he's going to fundamentally, radically change who I am. I think Nicodemus understands very clearly what Jesus is saying here, and that's this. If you meet Jesus in a way that you are truly born again, 
you are not the same person after that. If any man is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old is passing away. The new has come. Nicodemus understands the importance of what Jesus is asserting here. He is asserting that our relationship with Christ doesn't just clean us up around the edges. He fundamentally deals with our sense and self that is depraved. Now, the second question is, if this is essential, and if it is outside the realm of my ability, then how in the world can it happen? Because I want it, right? If you're like me, I want it. I don't want to be the same guy. How can it happen? Now, we're not going to get to this one so much today because we're going to bog down in the first one. There are three truly, truly statements. When you see the word truly in the Bible, I think in the old King James it's verily, 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 I say unto thee, verily. Newer version, many times it'll say truly, but it is actually the Greek word amen, amen. And it just simply is a Greek word that is used when someone is making a solemn declaration. Now listen, everything that Jesus said and says is important, right? Everything. But I would suggest to you when he says truly, he's trying to wake us up. He is making a declaration about something that he wants us to get. In the three synoptic gospels, Jesus repeatedly says truly. The only gospel in which it records truly, truly is in John's gospel. And three of them are in this chapter. Now, so if Jesus says truly, I say to you, I would suggest he is making a solemn declaration that we should wake up and listen to. But I would also suggest that if he says, truly, truly, he's like saying, wake up, and then he's shaking us. Listen up. I'm saying something I don't want you to miss. This is important. Right? You remember when you were a kid? Maybe you still are a kid. You know, and... Dad's going out the door, he's going to work, and he's giving you a list of chores he wants you to do that day. And he knows that your brain is anywhere but with him. And your dad says, hey, Johnny, listen. Did you get it? Because when I come home, you better have these chores done. Did you get it? It's like Jesus is saying to us in this text, my friend, you better get it. Truly, truly. And so he begins with that. Now, in these statements, the first statement is a simple declaration. Look at it, simple declaration. What is the declaration? Unless one is born from above or born again, he cannot perceive the kingdom of God. It's a simple declaration. 
Statement two is a restatement and clarification. Truly, truly, I am saying to you, unless one is born of the water, is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then statement three is an explanation and an expansion of one and two. We're going to look at one and two. We need to understand these two. Think of the three statements as we, com- as we compare the parts. Okay, statement one, statement two. Look at them in your Bible, look at them on the screens. They both begin the same way, unless, unless. Unless, unless. Both times. Okay, now. I think this is an important word. Unless. In other words, this has to happen if you're going to get into the kingdom of God. Unless. He reiterates it. Same word, both times. Second thing, one or one, we could just say from that a person, a human being. Okay, and he he makes that clear in both statements. And then he says, is born again. And in the second statement, he says this, is born of water and the spirit. And then he says he cannot see and he cannot enter. So he changes the word, but they kind of have the same meaning, right? Can't perceive it, can't get into it. Kind of talking about the same truth, but he uses a different word. What we're going to highlight for a few minutes this morning is the connection between born again and born of water and the spirit. My assumption or my assertion is that when Jesus says in statement one, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, he is saying the same thing by way of explanation in statement two. So being born again is being born of water and the Spirit. The phrase, born of water and spirit, is telling us what it means to be born again. So then you say, well, that's just as clear as mud. That really helped me. So let's go a little deeper. Nicodemus, now let's go back and talk about Nicodemus for a minute. Nicodemus is an expert in the Torah. When I use the word Torah, I'm not just talking about the first five books of the Bible. I'm talking about the way the Jews regarded in this time as the entire Old Covenant. He's an expert in it. He knows it. They didn't have chapter and verses then, but he knows it chapter and verse. Okay, he understands the book. I believe when Jesus makes this statement, the mind of Nicodemus would automatically go to Ezekiel the prophet in chapter 36 and 37. Because he understands what Jesus is saying 
from that prophecy. Since you don't have those two chapters memorized, turn there. Okay? Turn there. Now, I'm going to put some verses up on the screen, but I do want you to get to it in your copy of the Bible. We're going to talk about a term, it's called regeneration, and we're going to talk about it in the book of Ezekiel. When you hear the word regeneration in a church, you're not talking about a rock band. There may be a rock band out there called regeneration, I don't know. That was supposed to be a joke. You're all asleep. When you hear the word regeneration... The word itself essentially should be understood by us as synonymous with the concept of being born again. Okay? So if you're kind of new to this Christian thing, I want you to write that word down and kind of star it and memorize it and think about it. This is an important word. People throw it out in the Christian faith. We need to understand what it is. Regeneration in the book of Ezekiel. Now, when we look at chapter 36 and 37, and we put them with the greater context of the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 38 and chapter 39, we got a big prophecy about Gog and Magog, battles at the end of time. When you read chapter 36 and 37, we need to understand that the primary prophetic fulfillment of these things is in the future. Regarding the nation of Israel, some things have been fulfilled, not all of them. The regathering of the nation, okay, all that. The primary prophetic fulfillment of these chapters speaks of the end of time and culminates in the nation of Israel. But Jesus is using these chapters in a picturesque way to underscore what he is doing in his first advent. Now, it's going to come to fruition in finality in his second advent. But in the time between his first and second advent, what he says in chapter 36 is exactly what he's doing when he says, you've got to get born again. So we're going to look at it. Now, when we focus on this passage, I want you to help me by looking for verbs. Remember what they are? Action. I want you to notice, first of all, when we read this, I want you to notice with me the reason that God is doing what he does. The second thing I want you to notice is I want you to see what God is doing. And then I want you to see how man responds. And I want you to notice in here, and we're going to come back to this screen, We're going to look at man's condition, his cleansing, and his creation. Now jump in chapter 36 in verse 22. 
Some of it's on the screen if you don't have your Bible, but I'm going to read it out of my Bible. Therefore, now I'm going to read it off the screen because I want to circle some things. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says. First thing I want you to notice is why is God going to do something? It is not for your sake that I act. It is for my holy name. Boy, look, look at that. I'm going to do something, but it's not for you. It is for the honor of my name that I'm going to do something. This name that you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will honor the holiness of what? My great name. And you have profaned it. And the nations will know I am Jehovah. This is the declaration, Lord God. When I demonstrate my holiness through you in their sight. Now, how is he going to demonstrate he's holy to a bunch of bums who have been worshiping idols? He's going to obliterate them. Right? Yeah. He's going to wipe them out. They're a bunch of idolaters. Let's think about man's condition. Man's condition in this passage is he has profaned the name of the holy God. And God is going to do something. You know what he's going to do? He ain't going to wipe them out. He's going to save them. That's exactly what he's telling Nicodemus. My friend, that's exactly what he's telling you. You've profaned my name. I have profaned the name of God by my sin. And it's not because of me that he does anything. It's because of his holy name. And you know what he does because of his holy name? He shows me kindness. He shows me grace. He saves me. Now notice this. I will take you from the nations. You bunch of bums. Ah, the church is full of a bunch of bums. Who profane the name of God, who he has taken from the nations. And I will gather you from all the countries, and I will bring you into your own land. I no, no, remember I told you to watch the verbs. What's he doing? I will sprinkle you with clean water, unless he is born of what? Water. Nicodemus gets it. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be what? Clean. That doesn't happen in water in a tank. He's talking about something bigger. What happens in the tank represents it. But this is not physical water that just cleans you up. This is spiritual water that cleanses you from sin. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. Okay, here again, notice the verb. I will do this. 
I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit. I will remove the heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I will place, notice that, I will, notice all these things that God is doing, my spirit within you. Let me just ask you, did man do anything in those verses? He did. What did he do? He profaned the name of God. And he cannot save himself. And God does something. He acts. He sprinkles. He gives a new heart. He puts a new spirit. He places his spirit within us. And then what do we do in response? We follow him. See that? We become what? Disciples. We follow him. We follow his statutes. We follow his laws. Doesn't mean we do it perfectly. But we become disciples. Now, there are two important concepts you've got to get. Now, I told you at the beginning, you've got to get the word regeneration. When we talk about regeneration, in regeneration, two things happen. One we saw there in Ezekiel 36 is cleansing. The other is creation. He cleanses us, and then he creates in us a new heart. He puts a new spirit within us. And this is, you hear this word sometimes thrown out. It is God who is acting. God is doing this. You don't do it to yourself. You don't get in a bathtub and do it. No, God does it. It is his action. There's a flip word. It's the word conversion. I know conversion therapy is outlawed. Man, I think it's interesting they pick a word like that. Because God says, unless you are converted. Conversion, so in regeneration, cleansing and creation, conversion is repentance and faith. In regeneration, God is acting in conversion, man is responding. God is acting to regenerate, and you and I respond. How do we respond? By repenting of our sin and putting our trust in Jesus. These two words are inextricably linked. They are joined at the hip. How are they joined at the hip in this way? Number one, you cannot create regeneration. You can't do it. But having said that, we can proclaim the word. And when we do so, we, st- we stress the objective message of the gospel. We stress the need to be converted. We tell people you must repent and you must believe. Because God says that's what you got to do. And then we trust God, as Dave read to us this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, as we plant and we water, God makes the seed grow. You don't. God does. So, when we think about regeneration, let's think about this. It happens by the word, 
and it happens through the Spirit. In regeneration, God cleans us up. And he does so by applying the atonement. This is why he's going to clarify this later in this chapter when he talks about as, this, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up on a cross so whoever believes in him will be saved. So this cleansing doesn't happen in the tank. It happens by the blood of Jesus. As he sprinkles that clean water, and I'll show you this link in just a minute, upon us. And then he creates in us by imparting to us the spirit, we get a new heart. I want to think of two texts, Titus 3 and Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 5, he says this, Husbands, love your wives. Don't think about the other part of the chapter, guys. Let's just think about this. Husbands. God loved us when we profaned his name for the glory of his name. He was the initiator. And he's saying to us, guys, husbands love your wives. Same way. Don't wait for her. Guys, hitch up your britches and love your wife. That's what he's saying. Be like God. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her what? Holy. Cleansing her. And how does he do it? Washing of water. Remember that? Washing of water by the word. By the word. By the word through the spirit. This is how this happens. By the word through the spirit. Notice with me Titus 3. When the goodness of God and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Us bums who profaned his holy name. And it wasn't by works of righteousness that we've done. It was according to mercy. And he did it through what? Washing regeneration and renewal the Holy Spirit. Same two things. Washing, cleansing, creation. I don't know what sin you're struggling with now, and I don't know what sin you struggled with in your past. But God will forgive it and wash it if you confess it. And he poured out this spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that we, having been justified by his grace, may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. What does God want from you? What does God want from you? We're going to close with a song just as I am. I bet you know it. Just as I am was written by a woman named Charlotte Elliott in the 1800s. She was a member of the Church of England. She was an Anglican. Kind of went to church all her life. and Was a good person. Was a writer. She got very ill and became an invalid. Shut in her house, alone, many times, struggling with depression. This hymn becomes an amazing legacy of an invalid woman who suffered from depression and just felt useless. Her pastor came to see her, 
and asked her, do you got peace with God? And she got ticked. She changed the subject and sent him home. A couple weeks later, she called on him. And she said to him, I really don't. But I'm going to clean myself up. And then I'm going to come to Christ. And her pastor said this, come just as you are. Come just as you are. A couple years later, she wrote these words. Just as I am, without one plea. Hey, guys, we can't make a plea bargain. We're not going to get off light by making a bargain. I don't got a plea. But that your blood was shed for me, and that you invite me, come. O Lamb of God, I come, just as I am. Though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fighting and fears within, without. O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, thou wilt receive. Wilt welcome. Pardon. Cleanse. Relieve. Because thy promise, I believe. O Lamb of God, I come. Let's pray. Lord, as we close together this morning, I thank you for your word. I I pray that you would accomplish in your word and through your word exactly what you want. I pray that there's somebody here today that's just struggling with this idea and not understanding it, that you, Holy Spirit, would just open the floodgates that you would blow, that we would hear the sound. They would come just as they are. Some believer who's just been like a storm-tossed sea, fighting within and fears, they would come. And that we, your people, as we go from here this week, would go armed and dangerous, with the gospel. Close us with your love, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.